on 2FM. Sponsored by Dove Men Plus Care. Upgrade to Dove Men Advanced Deodorant and Body Wash. Let the confidence last. Game on. Weeknights from 6. On 2FM. What a big thanks to the two Johnnies and Afric for kicking off the week in entertaining fashion. It is Monday, February 26th, and you're listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Walsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, Alan Colley and Fergal Brennan are standing by to reflect on Liverpool's cup-winning young guns and drama aplenty in the League of Ireland. It surely was. Stephen Ferris says he's staying all the six day six action while in Gaelic games. Peter Canavan chats football and Niall Moran is with us to round up an exciting weekend of hurling. We also hear from the Ireland's women's national team camp ahead of tomorrow's friendly against Wales and Tala Stadium. Yes, lots to look forward to as always. And if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552, WhatsApp 087-187-9200 or we're on X at GameOn2FM. On 2FM. Good evening, welcome along to the show. Ruby Welsh, how are you, sir? I'm good, Shane, yourself? I am fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And why wouldn't I be? Alan Colley is here as well. How are you, sir? I'm all right. I'm okay. Yeah, big smiley face on you. Can we just dive straight into weekend highlights, Ruby? Can we? You and Johnny Smacks tearing shreds off me, yeah? That's all right, Shane, I remember that. What were you at, Al? Oh, Ruby, you know, just easy target. Thought I wasn't listening, but you know yourself, I'm always listening, Ruby. I'm always listening. Okay. Yeah, but you surely realise by now, Shane, that Al's a little bit touchy. <laughs> no, I, the only answer I have for these fellas, Ruby, it's a marathon, not a sprint. One result over the weekend won't change anything, believe me. Rome wasn't built in the day. There you go. And I was down at the game, and I'll give credit where credit's due. Um, Shamrock Rovers were well beaten by Shelburne, to be fair. It was an absolutely brilliant game, Shane, so yeah enjoy the moment while you can because it was absolutely superb um, the result the game the crowd the attendance everything it was a great night indeed it was Ruby we are going to get stuck into a competition before we get into the nuts and bolts of uh, this evening's show because this week on Game On we are teaming up with Energia to give away some fantastic prizes you could be roaring on the Ireland women's rugby team at one of their home games in this year's Guinness Six Nations we here at Game On have match tickets signed jerseys spending money and plenty more besides to give away across uh, the week Uh, don't be just half a fan think of the positive Possibilities and get behind the Ireland women's rugby team. Exactly. So on this evening's show, you could win a family set of four tickets, a signed Irish women's women's rugby jersey, and 100 euro spending money for games against Italy, Wales, or Scotland. To be given a chance to win, simply answer the following question: Italy drew 13-13 with which team in the men's Guinness Six Nations this weekend? Simply text the word Energia along with your name, answer and email address to 51552. As always, RT competition terms and conditions apply. See 2FM.ie for details. Now, gentlemen, Fergal Brennan is also uh, on the line as well. Uh, we will circle back to uh, League of Ireland, but first, I suppose it is only uh, fair and right to give Queveen Kelleher and Liverpool a bit of conversation the two Johnnies will be delighted Johnny Smacks was <laughs> chatting to him there he's a very happy Liverpool fan as I'm sure uh, many others commiserations to Paul Corrie as well I know he's a Chelsea fan Paul was over there I think was he Paul, Paul indeed was over really? there um, 
Yeah, no, no, not a great trip for him. But listen, um, the Irish angle with Cuevin Keller's performance and, and it, listen, a lot to get through with Jurgen Klopp and all the injury concerns and the young guns. But Cuevin, talk to me about Cuevin, Alan. Immense. Yeah, he was absolutely outstanding. Um, I would have given a man of the match and I think Van Dyke, to be fair, gave him man of the match after when he was collecting his award. But um, it was so important that I think he had a big day as well, Shane, because for, for the first time in a short career really playing at Liverpool, there was a lot of doubt just in terms of the fact that when he has stepped in for Alisson uh, throughout the season he's been maybe a fall for the odd goal in a couple of the games and people suggesting it's time now for him to move on and play regular football I've always been of the view that if you're at Liverpool one of the biggest clubs in the world under one of the best managers in the world playing under one of those the best goalkeepers and playing with world class players on a daily basis in terms of training and then he does get a lot of game time it's not like he's a sub keeper that is sitting on the bench for 6-8 months he does get a lot of game time whether it be cups or European matches and obviously the fact that Alisson's injured now he's getting even more I would wouldn't be too quick to leave the likes of Liverpool there's only one way you're going once you leave Liverpool Shane and I know it's important people say it to play regular um, so the fact that he was playing in such a big game yesterday and had the day that he had I think it's absolutely huge for his career not just the fact that in the present moment I think going forward in the future as well um, and I think all those concerns or doubts or whether you leave or not I don't think he'll be going anywhere soon to be honest with you and it was a brilliant brilliant day for him he was outstanding Alan can he ever work himself at into a position where maybe he could be first choice well I said this a few weeks back Ruby when um, when Alisson got the injury and I think the first game he played he was at fault for a couple of the goals and this is where some of these doubts started because my take on it when he was when everybody knew he was going to be in for I think five to six weeks whatever it was uh, that they were predicting that Alisson was going to be out for I felt this is your time now to step up grab the jersey like it, the old school mentality that it's, while, while you're in charge of the jersey it's yours uh, possession nine nine-tenths of the law and impress Klopp and, and I suppose the age that he's at now Ruby he's at the stage where rather, rather than being seen as just the understudy he has to be seen as challenging Alisson and that he's up somewhere I'm not saying he's as good as Alisson but the fact that he's there as the second in command tells you he's very very good goalkeeper and the fact that he's at Liverpool so he needs to get to a stage where like that if he comes in plays really well like he did yesterday has a run of games where he plays really well that all of a sudden it's given Jurgen Klopp a headache to say well hold on a minute I have a big decision to make it's been too easy up to now just that when Alisson is fit and he's a brilliant goalkeeper as we know Alisson that he comes straight into the team I think the fact that yesterday more so I think just for him rather than actually the competition with Alisson yesterday I think it was more about him and having that big day because as I said the last few weeks and months probably has been the noisiest I've heard from people and pundits talking about the fact that he needs to move he needs to he needs to get game time as I said I've never been of that view so I just think yesterday as an isolated game was huge for him but he does need to get to the stage now and build on it and go forward like I say where it becomes competition between him and Alisson Fergal Brennan, you were at Wembley Stadium for uh, the Carabao Cup final. What was the atmosphere like, and what? Uh, like, put put this into context as well, first, because I know Jurgen Klopp was saying that it was one of mm. his his greatest, if not his greatest, achievement because of all the injury concerns and everything else. Would you share his sentiments? I think obviously when he's caught up in the moment and, and he is a very good um, individual for a soundbite particularly for, for television and, and that kind of thing but I, I think it is a, a genuine thing that he believes because you look at that team that ended the game and there's obviously statistics floating around about the average age and the fact that there was various points second half and then in extra time where the changes that he was making he was deliberately saying to these young players um, Dan's Bobby Clark 
even even Connor Bradley, who strangely in the last couple of weeks is, is seen as a first teamer due to the injuries uh, for for Trent Alexander Arnold and how much football he's actually played. But he just kept throwing them on and saying effectively. Chelsea are not going to win this. There's a gap open here for you to go and win this game. What was interesting for me was everybody sat in the press box had resigned themselves to penalties. Everyone was just assuming it was going to be penalties. And then the big question would have been how many of them young guys that had come on and performed well, particularly Dan's, I thought he was quite impressive. How many of them would have been given a penalty? How many of them would be sticking their hand up and saying, give me one boss, I want to prove myself. Um, And I think... Klopp would have given that to them. I think we would have seen at least two or three of them take a penalty. Um, in terms of the atmosphere, there was a brilliant kind of change about halfway through extra time where the Liverpool fans had kind of dropped in volume for a couple of minutes and then they just came back with this roar and they were singing, 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 singing all the way up until the Van Dyke goal. And you could just, you could see the deflation within Chelsea. Maurizio Pochettino's uh, press conference after the game said it all um, where he effectively said he thought his players were playing for penalties which is a very strange position when you think of the team that they had compared to the team that Liverpool were able to put out um, but in terms of atmosphere it, it was amazing uh, it, even just to be there in a professional capacity uh, coming back up to Liverpool this morning uh, there was train issues last night so I, I stayed in London last night fans absolutely delighted there was a few sore heads on the train granted but just absolutely delighted because they feel like they're going to give Klopp this send off that he deserves they're still in the running for three more trophies they've got the FA Cup in midweek they're leading away in the in the Premier League and in terms of the Europa League it's, it's difficult to see a side that will beat them Absolutely uh, and they're back out in action on Wednesday Liverpool FA Cup as well so no rest really there Um Fergal, I want to stick with yourself because you've been covering the beat uh, on Everton. Everton's punishment for breaching Premier League financial rules has been reduced from 10 points to six after an appeal. Um, Good news for the club or best case scenario, suppose, all things considered, is it? Effectively, yeah, it is the best case scenario. So the appeals committee that's that's given their verdict this afternoon have have said there's two main points, which is why they've reduced the original um, points deduction. One of them is that they thought it was unfair that Everton were accused of not being being totally frank uh, in terms of their paperwork and obviously updating how much they've spent on the new stadium and transfers, etc. And also they've come out and said that previous points deductions for various different financial rule breaches, be that FFP in the past or PSR as it is called now, six points has generally been the, the rule. There was a case, I can't remember if it was 2020 or 2021 with, with Sheffield Wednesday where they were given six points uh, as a deduction and they'd effectively racked up debts because of player wages, um, club costs, transfers, everything. So the four points have effectively been taken off because Everton's case in a huge amount of this has been they're very, very disappointed that the original decision effectively pointed the finger at them and said, not only have you breached these rules, but you're not being fully disclosive in what you're you're telling the board, telling the Premier League. And, and Everton have stuck by this position that that's not the case. Punish the club if you believe the rules have been breached, but punish us fairly. Don't try to make an example of the club. Generally speaking, five, six points is the, the benchmark that's previously been used. And that's now the situation. Obviously, between now and the end of the season, they have the second charge to face. Nottingham Forest are in the same boat. Um, Premier League have effectively confirmed that it'll be the 8th of April that a decision has to be made on both of those cases. But Everton's second charge hasn't been touched at this stage. So there's no massive indication how it will go at this point. The likelihood is that it's not going to be 10 points again because the Premier League have effectively been told 10 points is too much. 
particularly when you don't have grounds for a really major um, kind of scandal, I suppose you'd put it. I imagine there will be another points deduction incoming for them and for Forrest. The chances of that being appealed could drag until the end of the season, though. So if you look at it mathematically now, Fergal, four points back for Everton puts them on 25, puts them just above Brentford, but Brentford would have a game in hand, but it does put them above Forest, and they'd be on 24 and 25 points. So you look at the bottom, Burnley and Sheffield United are on 13. So if you go with six off both, it probably puts either or in the melting pot to go down. Absolutely. Uh, and I think as it stands, when you, when you read off the table there, Burnley and Sheffield United are gone and, and justifiably so. I, I don't think they've done enough to prove that they should be a Premier League team next season. If Forrest and Everton both have points deducted, it'll be a very bizarre situation where you have the kind of uh, punished two battling it out to not go down. I think regardless of whether there is a deduction or how many points or if they get the same, I think the relegation picture with those teams involved isn't going to change a great deal between now and the end of the campaign. I've just been listening to Rob Edwards' press conference before their uh, FA Cup game against City tomorrow and he said that they're not really interested in this because it's so tight down at the bottom that a couple of wins and you're away from it a run of bad form and you're probably going to go down. There's only realistically one space that's going to be taken up by Forest, Luton, Brentford, Everton. Um, I think if the points get deducted, they'll get deducted from both and it'll be a bit of a reset. Alan Colley, um, elsewhere in the Premier League, heartbreak for Manchester United right at the end. Arsenal, another big win. What was your What was your Premier League highlight? Um, Arsenal's performance Saturday evening they were absolutely phenomenal Shane and mm. when you think of the form that they're in since they've come back after the break we spoke about that break coming at a good time for them and almost like reset mm. um, and that's exactly what they've done and you think of the, the run of form um, I think it's six wins in the Premier League now banging in goals as well just the, the energy and the intensity that they're playing at is absolutely phenomenal Saka absolute superstar who we know but just the shape and the structure on the team and interestingly enough he brought Jorginho into the team something he did against Liverpool as well which worked a treat brought him back in against Newcastle the other night ran the show he was absolutely phenomenal which freed up Rice and Odegaard and Rice was able to play as more an attacking midfielder as a number 8 mm. with Odegaard and just with the dynamism that he has and the ground he covers as well Rice um, getting into all sorts of dangerous positions as well I thought they were absolutely brilliant and in terms of the title race I was only thinking this even watching the game Saturday night because I had watched City just before that and City had to grind it out still a good performance uh, but Bournemouth really put them under serious pressure in the second half uh, but they did get the victory and then if you add Liverpool into it obviously they didn't play in the league at the weekend as we know but if you add them in I can't remember a time that I've ever seen three teams as good as what we have with these three battling it out in the Premier League. There's always been maybe uh, a battle of two teams or one outstanding team, but I've never seen three as good as these. So in terms of the next three, four months for all us football lovers, the Premier League race is going to be absolutely incredible because the the standard of these three is phenomenal. Call it, Alan. I've called it from day one Ruby I told you Marathon not a sprint like here in Ireland I've nailed my colours to the mast from day one I said Arsenal I haven't changed just like Shane is slagging me about Shamrock Rovers I've nailed my colours to the mast with that as well Just for the record I, 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 I agree with you with Shamrock Rovers I do feel that they have the quality to run away with the League of Ireland but how and ever no, I've said Arsenal from day one so I, and I, as I said they were brilliant at the weekend they've really um, hit the ground running since after Christmas it's going to be a great race but I'll stick with Arsenal you're sticking with Arsenal, but can Villa stay in the top four for Brennan? 
I think the issue for Villa is going to be game overload between now and the end of the season because they're still in the Europa Conference League um, and they're still pushing to potentially win that. We saw that with West Ham last year, despite the fact it's a, a new competition. If you're a team that hasn't won much um, in the last 10 or 20 years, it's a, a huge thing to go chasing that. Unai Emery's obviously got a brilliant record in European finals. It is going to be very difficult. I think they've got the freshness and they've got the quality and they've got the form to, to get in there and Manchester United as we've discussed many times can go on a bit of a run of three or four games but then they'll give away a silly result as they did at the weekend um, I still think it's Tottenham's to give away personally um, I, I think now that they're beginning to get players back and beginning to get a bit of form together obviously they didn't play this weekend because of the Carabao Cup um, final I think Tottenham's issue is a thin squad in certain areas but they've got the bonus of not playing European football they can just focus on what's in front of them Premier League games go and win what's in front of them whereas Villa will have to be balancing Europe and the top four it'll be very tight Um, and obviously at the moment the coefficient kind of calculator is is saying that the Premier League are not going to get the extra place for fifth it's going to be Italy and Germany obviously that can change Um, I'd be pushing for Spurs at the moment I think Villa will go close I think United will go close but I think Tottenham will be my pick as it stands Okay, drama plenty in the business end of the Premier League Fergal Brennan will leave the conversation there with yourself for now Alan Colley you're sticking around though because I do want to pick your brain on the uh, League of Ireland uh, because there's been plenty of drama in the League of Ireland as well Uh, news just before we came on air Bohemians uh, their fans have been banned from attending their next away fixture by an independent disciplinary committee of the FEI following events at Richmond Park last uh, Friday when a flare thrown from the away end injured Bowes defender um, Keane Byrne Um, the, the club won't be appealing that decision so it'll be no Bose fans at Drada on Monday which is unfortunate for Drada because in terms of revenue they'll, they'll miss out on that but on the pitch um, Alan you mentioned you were in Talca Park uh, on Friday so a win for Shelburne and in the other Dublin derby as well a, a win for Bose two unexpected results um, I think the Bohemians one was certainly unexpected Shelburne to be fair I always felt um, on the night that it was going to be a tricky game for Shamrock Rovers and that potentially they could take a point off them Maybe I didn't see them winning, but it was a great game, Shane. Mm. Um, and, and they deserve three points as well, to be fair to Shelburne. We all know with Damien Duff's teams, and, and you know more so than anyone, well-structured, well-disciplined, well-organised, tough to break down. But it was actually their attacking football that was most impressive, particularly in the first half. And they came out of the traps just... They were on fire from the first uh, whistle and real intensity about them. I spoke about Arsenal playing on the front foot. It was something similar with Shelburne. Uh, they didn't give Shamrock Rovers any time to settle. They got an early penalty, which they actually missed. Uh, but then they got the goal not long after with Mark Hoyle, which was fully deserved as well. Then they got a brilliant goal with Jarvis. Now, again, poor defensively from Shamrock Rovers. And Stephen Bradley spoke after the match of just how poor they were defensively. And the word were all over the shop, Shane. Um, and Shelburne found themselves 2-0 up in, in dreamland. Then there was a substitute a four substitution Sean Hoare was taken off and Graham Burke came on one of the star players of the league not just with Shamrock Rovers and he literally changed the game by himself he was mm. phenomenal when he came on Burke and then it was all Shamrock Rovers um, they got the early goal and in the second half it was set, set it up lovely for us for the second half and they pushed and pushed but they couldn't break Shelburne down a couple of great saves from Conor Cairns near the end um, and they held out yeah, they had a couple of chances themselves on the counter attack but overall over the piece I would say they deserved the victory and it was a great night in Talca Park sellout crowd um, and yeah and, and look as I said I've, I've tipped Shamrock Rovers like we all have I suppose but Derry didn't capitalise Saturday night Shelburne who knows might be in the mix the only worry I have for them is just where the goals are going to come from Shane like on a consistent basis but certainly in terms of their shape and their structure and, and what Damien demands from them 
they'll have a really good season. Yeah, it was refreshing to see that uh, attacking flair considering Sean Boyd was suspended. Liam Bird couldn't play against his parent club as well. So um, to have that. Just a final one on, on the League of Ireland. We're two rounds in and no team has a 100% record. Yeah. Like, we are expecting Shamrock Rovers to kind of pull away. But will this be... Like, Waterford at the moment are leading on goal difference. I know we're only two matches played. But hopefully it is exciting and it is competitive. And, like, without being cliched about it, teams are going to take points off everyone, no matter where you are in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be the, the case for the season. It's it's very, very competitive. Um, and and as, as crazy as this sound, Shane, and we're only two games in, Derry and St. Patrick's Athletic have to be taking advantage of any slip-up yeah. with Shamrock Rovers. And again, as you said, I know it was a way to slide Rovers, but they need to be beating them. And, and as I said, even though it's an away game, they need to be beating them if they're going to win a league. The same with St. Pat's, a home to Bohemians. They should be beating them if they think they're going to topple Shamrock Rovers this year. So they need to take full advantage. They haven't. Shamrock Rovers, I spoke about Burke coming back. I think Jack Byrne is back next week. Aaron McIniff, um, Pico Lopez is back as well. So the star-studded players are coming back. And they were very good despite the half an hour. I thought they were very good in the second half. Um, so... Yeah, I've I've kind of reiterated the fact that I've gone for Shamrock Rovers <laughs> about five times. Well, it's, it's Shamrock Rovers versus Drada on Friday. Eight against ten to relegation six-pointer, Alan, to look forward to this Friday. So, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? It's very good. Listen, we're going to have to leave our football chat there. Before we do take uh, an ad break, uh, let's hear from the Irish women's captain, uh, Katie McCabe, uh, as the uh, Irish team continue their preparation for a, a friendly in Tallis Stadium against Wales tomorrow evening. You see the levels of just gone up a notch each time we come into camp, even obviously the I know we're missing obviously the likes of Denise and we had the ways out, Sinead Tyler and that so but the introductions of like Jess Sue back, you know what I mean? She's obviously over there in West Ham and having her back after like seventeen months I think it was was a real breath of fresh air. You've got such young, exciting talent coming through. Obviously Izzy getting her start as well on, on Friday night and, and Larko coming off the bench the Ankeen and coming back so there's all these names we're talking about, which is, is so exciting for me, um, because you can see the, the the talent they have, and it's now just about all of us kind of getting up to the level to, to perform now consistently each time we come in, and I, I really feel like we're we're starting to get into a groove of that. We almost didn't want the break after the Nations League because we were feeling really good, but it was also at the same time nice to kind of reset and and refocus and come back here hungry for obviously the, the next camp which will be a, a Euro qualifiers We will be previewing Ireland-Wales in full on tomorrow's show in the company of Paul Corey and Rebecca Cray We're taking a short break Up next is Stephen Ferris on all Six Nations drama over the weekend Stay with us here in Game On 2FM Game On Rugby Welcome back to Game On where it was another Six, six, six Nations weekend even last weekend and Ireland had a, a victory over Wales maybe not as impressive as everyone thought but hey, three games, three bonus point victories and Stephen Ferris, are we all starting to expect too much? Um, that's quite possibly, could possibly be the case Ruby um, I know heading into the game speaking to fans um welsh fans it was just like all oh, ireland are going to turn up and blow wheels away and uh you know the, the the bonus points pretty much guaranteed and then you know when the third quarter of the game started to get a bit shaky the discipline started to go against us we were like hold on a second we're human after all you know that we the, the Irish team do make mistakes they do give away silly penalties and um yeah they, of course it's a different situation when you're still a couple of scores up on the opposition but at the same time um i think that that's not a bad thing to happen to the Irish team there uh ruby 
in the second half. Um, you know, keep them on their toes getting into the next couple of weeks against England and, of course, against Scotland uh, in the final match. So, um, yeah, I think they can put a lot more out of that game than maybe the previous two where they've run away with them. They most certainly can. But there was some massive individual performances as well. Ty Byrne, I thought Gibson Park was incredible. But Kieran Frawley, I mean, you're you're looking at him coming in for Hugo Keenan. You're wondering, will Hugo be missed? But Kieran Frawley just looked like he was doing it all his life. Yeah, definitely. And like I think he's only started seven or eight games uh, at full-back for Leinster this season. Like he's 26 years of age and um, 79 appearances for Leinster. Like you, you'd almost feel like when you're starting a match in the Six Nations that when, when you watch them that they had 30 or 40 caps for Ireland, a couple of hundred for Leinster. You know, was in his early 30s and he was in just cruise control, Rolls Royce, just um, controlling things in, in the backfield. He's not scared to take the ball on himself, get himself into first receiver a number of times also when Jack Crowley got um, caught up. So, yeah, it was a really impressive performance with him. Um, the only thing is, he doesn't have Hugo Keenan's pace. Like, you know, I, th- I think that's very evident for, for, for everyone that, that, that watched the game. The lines that Hugo Keenan, Hugo Keenan runs, um, the way he's able to. Uh, get himself out of jail when uh, Ireland are under pressure and are, are in a scramble situation. He is just a little bit better. But I thought it was a very impressive performance by Kieran Frawley, and it's brilliant that Andy Farrell now has somebody like him to call upon if he needed. I say Andy Farrell is fairly happy too. I tell you what struck me, Stephen, watching the national anthem as the camera went all the way down along the team. Other than the two props, maybe Gibson Park and Crawley, if you put a blindfold on everybody else, they could all have been back row forwards. The size of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're all right. Like um, they're a side that's uh, yeah, just a full full of specimens. Like um, really good athletes within the squad. Like and it's a really good place to be at the minute for Ireland. Ireland. I think I said it in in the lead up to kick off with Jackie Hurley and uh, Jerry Fanner and Jimmy Heaslip. Ireland are a team that. It's got real control. They've got they're really comfortable in everything that they do. They've got a blueprint, a game plan that they stick to. Um, there hasn't been much change in the environment over the last couple of seasons. They're um, you know blooding in and a couple of other players, uh, younger guys, the likes of Frawley getting uh, um, game time, Ryan Baird getting more game time, albeit off the off the bench on a couple of occasions. But you know we lost Johnny Sexton after the Rugby World Cup. But apart from that nothing really much has changed for Irish rugby and when you keep on winning and winning it's just it's a brilliant place to be and uh, you know the winning culture that there there seems to be within Irish rugby is just it's just springboarding on week in and week out and I think it's 39 wins out of 41 games at the Aviva Stadium which is just it's just incredible so you know there's there's a team that are hungry they've a team that are um, you know, obviously very clued into to what Andy Farrell's game plan is, and they're executing it extremely well. The skill set on show has been has been unbelievable. But uh, just to go back to your your point, they're a team that's very physical, uh, extremely fit, and a match for anybody. Are tougher tests ahead, Stephen? And and I asked that with I know we were kind of chatting, um, or you were mentioning on on game on previously about the Six Nations being a bit of a slow burner, hasn't necessarily been high in quality and, and skill all the time and perhaps not as entertaining as some fans may want it to be like, like you look at the weekend Italy nearly or should have beaten France if not for the width of a post and then Scotland beat England like it's it, it's hard to predict 
teams are taking points off other teams, but like, has the quality been there? No, I don't think the quality has been there. Even the, the other games at the weekend, um, I, like I, I genuinely think that Ireland beat Wales with a bonus point in second gear. Like it did feel like that. It did feel like they could they could definitely up it up at a, another ten or twenty percent. Um, and the other games, the French game, the French came with a bit of quality in the opening twenty minutes. You thought, oh, geez, here's the French of old. You know where where have they been? And then. All of a sudden, they lost their their playmaker Jalibert. Got that, uh, you know, upset with the red card, and they just they just folded. And, and you know, in came the Italians. The the Italian try was 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 absolutely fantastic. But apart from that, there were still plenty of errors, plenty of mistakes. They don't play with the same um, style as obviously Ireland, which is a lot easier on the eye. Uh, Italy probably try to do so more than other teams. But then you just watch England, and then all they want to do is run about and, and try and tackle people. Um, like it's, it's it's pretty difficult to watch. And even English fans that are messaging me, like they're not looking forward to Twickenham in, in what 13, 12, 13 days time. <laughs> like they're they're really not looking forward to it. They're begrudgingly going to go to support their team, but they're not enjoying the style of rugby that they're playing. Like it's uh, and and then when you you go away and you get beaten by by Scotland convincingly enough. Um, already there's question marks over Steve Borthwick is he the right guy is he the right guy to take England forward and um, I suppose you got to give him a bit of time Felix Jones the rest of the coaching staff a, a bit of time but they got to evolve a little bit they're, they're not going to win international test matches just by you know having this huge line speed and, and trying to hit teams behind the game line there's got to be a bit more to their game they do have the players to do it we've seen that week in and week out in the Gallagher Premiership They you know, some of the club teams do play uh, a better brand of rugby, but you know, on the international stage, when you're paying a, an arm and a leg machine for for tickets to go to Twickenham to support your country, you, you want to go with a smile on your face uh, instead of thinking, "Geez, you know, are we going to be in for another slog and another kick fest, another just watching boys get off the line and and, and smack people back?" You know, they, I think they need to evolve a little bit more, and and maybe we'll see that over the next couple of weeks. But part of me doubts that. I would have to agree with you. When you're kicking a drop goal in the first half to bring it from 17-10 to 17-13, you're already out of imagination. Yeah. Ruby, we've seen it during the World Cup. Like, you know, I think it was George Ford got man of the match against Argentina in the first game because he had three drop goals and four penalties or something. Um, and everybody thought, oh, this, this is brilliant. Like, you know, it's, but it's, it's not like, it's, it's not. People want to tune in and if we're going to, grow the game and, and get more young uh, girls and boys playing the playing the sport, you know, you, you gotta have a nice um a game of rugby that's gonna be nice on the eye and um English fans that are, are watching their team playing at the minute aren't enjoying it. And that's the reality of it. They're not enjoying watching their team, even when they do win, uh, you know, get over the line against against Wales uh, at home a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't a particularly good performance. So <clears throat> everybody knows it's in them. We know that England, the English lads, they do have quality. They do have power. They do have a great athletes in their team. It's just about getting it out of them. And um, unfortunately, Steve Borthwick and you know the rest of the guys haven't been able to do that uh, as yet. Um, and hopefully they don't do it against Ireland in a couple of weeks' time, Ruby. Uh, hopefully they don't. One other thing, Stephen, like I fully understand and get why there is a shot clock and you have to keep the game moving. But when you watch Garbisi at the weekend and the ball falls off the tee through nobody's fault, should it not have stopped? 
Um, no, no, um, I, I, I don't. I, I sort of disagree with a lot of the the pundits that have come out and said that it should have been retaken because there was a charge down and the water the water carrier was there. If you actually look at Garbisi himself, Garbisi wasn't blaming anybody. He wasn't looking, you know, pointing his finger at the the water boy or uh, you know the, the the guys who were charging down the kick. He. He, he, he just knew it was one of those things that happened. The ball fell off the tee. He had only 10 seconds left to kick it. He stood back. He gave it his best go and unfortunately pulled it ever so slightly with his left, left peg and it hit the upright. He was just afterwards hands on head and he knew he should have knocked it over even with the circumstances that unfolded in front of him. Um, and yeah, uh, that's that's why I kind of read it, Ruby, was... I just looked at Garbisi and he wasn't blaming anybody else apart from himself for not kicking it over. So that's why I think it actually when it the way it did unfold. Um, I think the referee and everyone else, there's nothing really much more they could have done. Um, and if I was a French player and the ball fell off the tee even with the penalty, I probably would have done the same thing and, and ran towards the ball and um, you know try to put him off myself. So I can completely understand why they did that also. Heartbreak for Italy, though, nonetheless. Listen, Stephen Ferris, we've run out of road. Thank you so much uh, for taking the call. Great chatting, as always. We're taking a short break, and then we'll be back with Peter Canavan chatting Gaelic football. Game on. Gaelic football. Now, you're very welcome back to Game On as we chat Gaelic football in the company of Peter Canavan. Peter, let us just jump straight into our conversation and begin with Dublin's win over Kerry. Um, I was actually I was at a wedding Saturday watching it with nine or ten lads on an iPhone and they were all huddled around. They all got very excited about the result given that they were all dubs. Um, how much of a statement performance, how much of a statement win was this or were they just getting a bit carried away? No, that every right Shane to be excited because not only did they beat on paper a, a very good Kerry team, but it was the manner in which they disposed of them and the clinical edge up front. The you know the way they're going after teams this year has been refreshing. You know I've said before that Dublin generally this past few years have been cagey enough at the start of the league, not overly impressive, but they've come good. Um, you can't say that about them this time round. I think they're averaging in the four games so far, they're averaging 20 points in, in, in every game that they play and that's against really good sides and in, in, in the winter time. So that's worrying for teams come come summer whether they can maintain that. Plus you have to, they still have players to, to bring into that panel. Um, you know, Brian Howard only came on. There was no sign of Jack McCaffrey, Paul Mannion. So, um, Things are going really well um, for the Dubs, and yes, for, from a Dublin point of, of view, they have every reason to, to be excited. So when Jack O'Connor and the Kerry lads got back on the bus Saturday night, what were they thinking? Well, any manager that that takes a defeat like that, you're you're trying to claw at the at the positives. He'll be coming away thinking. Uh, they've never been as open, you know. If you go back two years ago, Ruby, the hallmark of of Kerry winning that uh, All Ireland was the way they sealed up the centre of their defence. They were mean, uh, very difficult to penetrate, and it was the complete opposite against Dublin. The middle was was wide open. Um, what positives? Uh, again, they they blooded uh, another few younger players, giving them more game time in Crow Park and. To be fair to Kerry, they created a fair, you know, majority maybe half the goal chances. And on another night, uh, instead of Con heading away with with three in the bag, David Clifford could easily have had a hat trick 
on on um, Saturday night. So they did create goal opportunities, but Jack and, and his management team will, will definitely be concerned about how open they were in the middle. Well, Shane might have been a huddle around an iPhone watching that one. I walked into a restaurant on Tyrone were playing Mayo and going to halftime, I couldn't have foreseen the result the way it ended up. What happened in the second half? Uh, I wasn't best pleased myself, Ruby, at, at halftime, to be honest, either, because Tyrone were lacklustre. There was no... didn't appear to be any spirit or any, any fight in them. And it, it was hard to look at. Again, it, it was pedestrian, the first half, very similar to the way they played against Galway. But... Whatever Brian Duher said to them at half time, it was like he injected them with something because every one of them there was a bit more fire in their belly. They were tackling, they were they were chasing Mayo down, turning them over, and that energy transcended into their play going forward as well because they went at Mayo with they, they, you know with, with pace and, and and purpose, and coupled with the fact that that Darren McCurry was brought onto the pitch, he didn't start. And you know, Dara up front was was fighting a, a lone battle for a good part of the first half. But with McCurry up there, there was a much better link between midfield and and forward line. And and Darn wanted to prove a point himself, and he certainly did that. He kicked eight points. So um, talk about a, a completely different team in the second half. They were transformed. And uh, again, Kevin McStay was scratching his head after the way in which they folded because. The, you know they were very, they were leading by three points at half time, and on top of that, he got an injury to a key player, Dermot O'Connor. So um, he went down the road, and, and as I say, he'd be scratching himself. Granted, he didn't play a few of their their main players or players that have been playing all year, the likes of Aidan O'Shea and, and Ryan O'Donoghue. Um, so maybe maybe Kevin's not too worried about about finishing in uh, the top of the league, and again, he's sinking further down the line. Staying in Ulster, um, Peter, I'm already looking forward to Derry Dublin next Saturday. Uh, personally, like Derry now, four from four, what has been most impressive about, about their league campaign to date? Yeah, we, but like like Dublin has been their, their scoring power. Um, you know, we've witnessed this past couple of years how this team has evolved. They've been very tight at the back and very quick to get numbers back. But the added dimension that, that they brought on from last year is how quick they break now from defence and they have got defenders who get up the pitch so easily and who get into real good positions and who can score and a lot of people maybe when they watched there yesterday said they weren't you know they weren't brilliant but they still hit 310 away to Galway and if they weren't brilliant what what could they do um, maybe they had one eye on Dublin I don't know but I tell you what that, that'll be a good one on um, on Saturday night we have the two best teams in the country by, by a good margin at the minute and uh, they're going to clash in Celtic Park uh, I was there the last time they met there was a brilliant crowd brilliant atmosphere and a brilliant game to top it off so I'll be amazed if there's not something similar this Saturday night in, in Derry City and the fourth and final game in Division 1 was Roscommon and Monaghan and it was a good performance from Roscommon they burst out the traps and never let Monaghan in it did they? That's right um, Davy Burke will be a very relieved man he was getting a bit of stick last week about coming out with the 65 training session so uh, uh, he had a big smile on his face um, after this I don't think he would have been expecting it to be as easy normally Monaghan when you play them in the National League you have to earn it um, this time round, it, it was so comfortable. Now, Roscommon are starting to get their key players uh, back on the field, first of all. They're starting to find a bit of form. 
and they've got a real chance now they're, they're sitting on, on three points they play Mayo this weekend and, and Monaghan of, of, of Galway so you know next week we could be sitting to, you know seeing Galway and, and Mayo at the bottom of Division 1 and not, not too many would have expected that but um Roscommon have the quality they, uh, and have the players so I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Roscommon go from strength to strength now and, and actually stay up in Division 1 65 training sessions sorry yeah. Ruby to cut you a cough <laughs> cut you off 65, 65 training sessions they want to be going they want to be going well sorry go on, but what about Division 2 Peter um, Armand Donegal Kieran McGinney Jim McGinnis a bit of bite in the sideline but it was entertaining stuff yeah, well, there'd be something wrong if there wasn't a bit of bait on the on the sideline. Uh, two men that don't like to take a backward step, and and they certainly didn't do that. And neither did their troops. And in fairness, the two teams went at it, yeah, really well. And in, in terms that it was a good physical battle, that lots of mistakes and in the shape of turnovers. And both managers will be very unhappy about that. But they'll not, they'll be delighted that they've both got a point each because it, it still leaves both of them firmly in the driving seat in, in Division 2. Um, Armar, easier side of the draw in Ulster and, and could well be um, be sitting in an Ulster final. And, and uh, I, w- I don't think Donegal is going to be that far away come the su- uh, summer either. They're improving with, with every game and they're very much dark horses and McGuinness knows what he's at. Um, but the big feature, I suppose, about Division 2 was the fact that Cork beat Fermanagh, which leaves it now. You have two from any, you know, five or six teams there that that could actually go down. Um, so every game is so competitive. And, and going through the games yesterday, I think the the Meath and Kildare game was, there was a three-point winning margin. And every other game in Division 2, I think it, it was a point or, or, or there's nothing between the sides. So it gives you an indication of how competitive Division 2 is. And there's going to be some scramble um, in the weeks ahead to try and stay up in that division. We certainly want to see competitiveness uh, going forward. Peter Canavan, thank you so much uh, for taking the call. Great to chat. Uh, we are sticking with Gaelic Games. We're taking a short ad break and then we're chatting Hurling in the company of Niall Moran. Game on. Hurling. Now, time to chat Hurling with Niall Moran for the final part of this evening's uh, Game on. Niall, four out of the six matches in Division 1A and 1B were fairly comfortable scorelines um, wins for Tipperary Limerick Galway Kilkenny there was one draw and a, a victory for Cork overall was it an entertaining weekend of hurling in your opinion? Yeah if you look the things stepped up in, in some cases um, some of the teams stepped up um, I suppose look if you look at Clare and Wexford first off um, Wexford again down a number of key players Rory Connor, um Gavin, etc and even with the last of each end, they found themselves four points down with 10 15 minutes gone in the rest of the first half. Yes, they kind of rallied and they rule a couple of missed chances there at the end that they could have come away with a win that could be vital, um, Shane, because again, in that like, that division is, is definitely the tougher of the two groups. And I suppose that they have three draws. And so, I mean, if you put a win on that yesterday, it would have probably propelled them a little bit further up the table and even would have probably drawn Clare back on, on terms of them with four. So, Look, as far as Wexford, it's been a really good league for both those teams. Um, especially Clare, like again, more new face in the Clare setup yesterday. And look, a draw with the result mightn't have been exactly as they wanted, I'm sure. So, I mean, they've learned an, an awful lot more. And again, they've expanded their panel. Um, meanwhile, I suppose down in Party Creeve, 
Yeah, the game was tight maybe on the scoreboard as you look at it, but I suppose with 15 minutes left, the game wasn't tight. Um, Johnny, obviously, Cork were well ahead and Waterford were very, very lethargic. But again, probably in one way, Clare and Wexford went home with, you know what I mean, lots of very good learnings, a lot of positivity. Yes, Cork and Waterford could argue, depending on their mindset, it could be very negative in the sense that both of them flattered to deceive at times, but also very positive in that both of them hurled very well at times. So, um, look, I suppose the key element out of that was Waterford have lost that game and it puts them under pressure to stay in, in the top tier for next year. It does, but would Pat Ryan and Cork or Keith Rossiter be happy with the progress they're making? I mean, this time last year, Wexford got hockeyed by Clare. I, I just think Keith Rossiter will. Like, again, Ruby has said, like, they're, they're down... Like you could argue that the marquee Mar- forwards were kind of kind of McDonald neither of them playing, and look again great performance. Now look, like scoreboard wise, one thirteen isn't going to upset anybody, and like obviously a very very low scoring game as was the other game. Um, so the key roster will be happy because they're very very competitive and they have been right throughout the year. And I suppose when you're trying to climb up the ladder, the first thing you have to do is ensure that you're consistently competitive. And I think that's last year they fluctuated. Obviously, they beat Kenny on one hand and then last West Mead on the other hand in the championships. That's not consistent. Whereas now they're probably finding that bit of consistency. And I think that's really for Pat Ryan. He knows he has talent. People in Cork know they have talent. People in country know they have talent. But I suppose with Cork, I suppose that level of consistency to be consistently competitive uh, for the 70 minutes, let alone over, over the course of the championships for the 70 minutes. Uh, so that's what they're striving to achieve. And Again, when they played the direct ball, when they went a little bit quicker, they were really, really good. Um, when again, when they kind of were safe in themselves, and then went across the pitch, they, they drew trouble on themselves. They lost the momentum, and I think really they're going to have to be brave uh, as they go forward to try and kind of be consistently competitive, and, and more so than competitive, they have to see what caught people wanting to be successful. And they have to handle that pressure as well of representing Cork. I know they have the week off and then when they're back, they're, they're away to Offaly. Do you feel that this group can handle that pressure and drive on now after this win? Yeah, I suppose it's a team probably still trying to find this identity. And like again, Pat Ryan's very, very well got um, you know, within Cork and obviously outside of Cork. And I suppose maybe they just have to find that consistency. And I suppose ultimately, look, they'll, they'll need to have achieved big wins and even a little bit of silverware, like, you know what I mean? A National League would probably go down the street in Cork. It would be a great starting point. Obviously, I know that they're craving in All-Ireland. It's coming on nearly 20 years since they won the last one. But, um, look, I, I do think he's on the right path. But, I suppose, look, he's a lot of guys that are younger. They're coming off the back of those under-20s and minors. And then the guys at the other end, like, in, even there, before the game was over, like, Cameron Hahn, Pat Horgan and, and Shamie Hanley, like, they probably weren't seeing out the, that particular game. So I suppose maybe it's just it's just trying to maybe the ownership of the team will have to come from more than just you know, Joyce and, and the younger lads. And look, there, there was signs of that. Jack Connor, a guy who, who lit the scene up um, a couple of years ago, um, again showed, showed his real ability yesterday, 1-3. Like Brian Hayes inside, he was excellent. Given, again, he showed like, that three good points, big physical presence. So he's getting there. And uh, I, look, I suppose one thing is just that word consistency. Go on, Shane. Sorry. No, I, I'm just. I'm curious with, with that consistency and what we're learning, and and it's more of a, I suppose a broader um, question now. Like, 
have we have we learned anything over the weekend from from the teams, say Tipperary, Limerick, Galway, Kilkenny? As I mentioned, like the the kind of handy margins, like it's good to see Wexford because they're so hard to say where they're at, and they're very difficult. And hopefully, Keith Roster can drive them on. And Cork have been hot and cold, obviously, and, and be interested now what will happen then in 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 a couple of weeks' time. So, but from from the teams that had the the decent wins, like what have they learned for themselves, even if anything? Look, I suppose if you're to ask me straight out, okay, what you're saying is, well, why aren't all these teams operating consistently? Well, I suppose in my own belief is, okay, obviously Limerick, okay, obviously they've been hugely consistent. Kilkenny have been consistent over the last three or four years, you know what I mean? National League champions, uh, Leinster champions, okay. Clare have obviously been hugely consistent. So, like, there are three teams that you know when it comes to championship time, you know what you're going to get. They're all trying to find the one percenters, right? Mm. Whereas, I suppose, like you look at something like Waterford, I know Davey used a few expletives to you know, outline his frustration yesterday, but I suppose I can see what they're coming from. Like, they have taken kind of an emotional battering over the last couple of Munster Championship campaigns in particular. And so, I mean, you're striving, you're in a dressing room, you're trying to create that kind of belief that really, and I'm going to use the word that authentic belief, that genuine belief, and that authentic belief is only backed up when you probably have a little bit of silverware to show and have been consistently competitive without big deviations. So I suppose in some of those teams that I've mentioned, Cork, Wexford, Waterford, um, Dublin, like, yes, they've shown their capacity to perform, but that genuine belief, and it's really the third quarter, if you're looking at the quarter, the third quarter will always kind of give you an insight into it because really that's when the moving quarter is there. And if you don't really have that deep down belief that is as firmly as a firm foundation, then what you'll find is coming down the home straight and even after halftime, you'll find the gap coming because teams who do have it, and we saw it over the weekend, Kenny, after halftime, I mean, they thrown themselves eight points down twice in the first half, six down at halftime, they blew awfully out of it. Um, Limerick blew Dublin out of it. All of these teams, I mean, they're blowing teams out of it in that third quarter because that belief is there, you know. Is it just belief, though, or is that the gulf between the good teams and the... I'm not going to say bad teams, but the next level of teams. It's belief and ability, okay? So, again, I, I was fortunate enough to go to see Limerick and Dublin, and I'm not happy on about Limerick, but like Limerick were in cruise control. Like, that wasn't, I don't mean disingenuous. Yeah, Dublin, at times, and for the second quarter, they came at Limerick. But if you ask me, I think that was because Limerick switched off. Limerick could have had them blown out of the water. All right, so I think in some, in some of those cases, they may lack the actual ability, okay? And... You know what I mean? And maybe I mean disingenuous to Dublin, but that, I, I would put them in, in that category because they're in transition. But, like in the case of Cork, like you know they have, you know that there is talent there. Like, you know, the, the Mark Coleman, the John Joyce, the, you know what I mean? There is that talent there. So, I suppose, like, look, that belief, it's very, very hard. It's not until you cross over that Rubik and break that glass ceiling and, and have that big win, then you get it. And, you know what I mean? I suppose, these teams will have to identify games, especially in the round robin, whereby they say, well, this is a win we have to get. And it's like you're going out in the horse that you're in, you just you have to go balls out, you have to go for it. And chartering, and if you lose it, then face the consequences. But don't be saying, geez, we would have, could have, should have. You have one chance. Yeah, and if you don't take that chance, then unfortunately you have to face the reality that as a group, you're not good enough. And that's a hard reality to face in elite sport because, I mean, it undermines all your preparation, all your time, all your commitment. And, I suppose, but until that time where you put all your eggs in one basket and go for it and get over the line, then you'll have that ability and that, uh, that belief more so like that. Some of these teams are really lacking at the moment. 
Absolutely. Niall, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, Sinead, that is all we have time for. Niall Moran, thank you so much. Uh, just before we do go, it is time to give away that amazing energy, a prize and send someone to one of the Ireland Women's Rugby Home Games in this year's Guinness Six Nations. Massive congratulations to Barry Corcoran from County Loud. You've just won a family set of four tickets, a signed Irish women's rugby jersey and €100 Euro spending money for a home game of your choice. And the good news for everyone else is there's lots more chances to win with energy happening across the show this week. So tune in again tomorrow for a chance to win. Myself and Ruby are back from 6 o'clock tomorrow from all of the Game On team. Have a great evening. We'll chat you tomorrow. Stay with 2FM though because Better the Silver is up next after the news.